0: Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Hello, welcome back to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. I hope you have an amazing 2019. We are hoping to Bring amazing minds uh, to your, you know, whether you're watching it on your cell phone or your television. Um, and today, my guest is Teddy Daka. He is the global chair of Ericom and the CEO of Etiong. He's an amazing mind. The, from the first time I met him, I was like hooked. So, Teddy, thank you so much thank for, you for the time. Me. I'm just thinking, um, you spent some time in exile. And I'm just wondering what part times you kind of engaged in uh, as a child. But also, do you think the way you were brought up has shaped the person you are? And how has it shaped the person you are?
1: I actually think that every every person is shaped by their past histories, some of which before they were born themselves, yeah. been passed on through the genes and yeah. through a family and all that. I had polio when I was young, Mm -hmm. and I think that has shaped my life even more Mm -hmm. than the geographies that I've I've, I've stayed in. Uh, Being a child with polio, my mother uh, had to make sure I become somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, In those days, born in the 60s, um, mid-60s, it was a question of what options do you have. You can't do manual labour as a result of your disability, so boy, you got to study your books.
0: That brain...
1: And books I did. So did. I was more... Of a and we are mad. very
0: grateful. I mean, it's not a positive thing to get, but we're grateful that that brain was manufactured. Actually, actually,
1: it is a positive thing. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's a strange way of putting it, but I'm glad that, you know, when I was young, I had this uh, disability. Yeah because it taught me to do things that probably I wouldn't have done. For instance, uh, being a young disabled person, people treat you as if you're a leper. So your sense of identity begins to develop Mm. whilst you're very young, I am different. Uh, When you go play soccer or you Mm. play with the kids, at school they say sit down and the other kids have to play. And you begin to think it's not like these days where you know you get the Olympics for you know disabled people yeah. and all that. That 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 was not world. There. Yeah. exactly exactly. So it it shaped my thinking, and uh, I spend most of my time reading aloud, trying to understand why me or what's the philosophy of life. Yeah. And uh, my whole career actually shaped as a result of, of that.
0: Yeah. In those moments, what vision did you have for your life, and what you're living now is it what you envisage? Is it better? Is it worse? What's, what do you still need to achieve?
1: Well, I said uh, when I was still, by the time I got to my teens, I would probably read uh, quite a lot of books on you know, philosophy, and um, I've read Bible and all other religions, and I figured out for myself that asking the question, what is the purpose of life, is the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Because that assumes that life has a consciousness of its own that yeah. it can decide. So I decided for as long as I'm alive career-wise. I will try and do four things and make meaning of my life. Yeah. First, I said I want to work for not-for-profit. I want to work in a corporate environment. I want to be an entrepreneur and start business. And I want to retire as an academic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done the first three, and I'm doing my PhD at the moment. So And your focus is what? I'm actually interested in how institutions shape uh, what we do, where we're going, or what happens in life. Because oh. I do believe that uh, if you listen to most of the Western... Ideas on management is competitive advantage is from technology, brands, and things like that. But you get companies that don't have that, and they do well. Take the former SAB Miller, for example. There's no superior technology. There's no superior brand that they have. But they've succeeded Mm. and become this large, big uh, multinational business. So that's an area that I'm interested in.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting to read when you're done. And you're going to help me craft my PhD topic, I hope. (laughs)
1: I'm there to help anybody who asks for my business.
0: It's overdue. What do you think your value proposition is? What's unique about you in a space?
1: I'm not so sure if there's something really unique about me, but Mm. what I do try and do in my day-to-day living, my interactions with people uh, at at the end of the day, on a net basis, must be a positive experience. I'm not an angel. I step on people's cons. I do all sorts of bad things without without wanting to do so. But I also do good, mm. and I do hope that my good outweighs the negative things. So on a net basis, if I can make a difference in somebody's life, a positive one, yeah. in my in my view I would have achieved something for that yeah. day.
0: And you do. I mean, the first time I met you, <laughs> I was stuck, because I, I think there was a speaker that didn't show up, and it's my first meeting, and you kind of moved things around and you were there. So even when you don't know somebody, it seems like it's you just want to touch people in a positive way. You are said to have a proven track record in terms of uh, creating growth through mergers and acquisitions. I hope that's true from what I hear. What do you think is something that we undermine when we're doing mergers and acquisitions that makes people not achieve the value that they were seeking to achieve? I think
1: the question of culture, although we talk about it, yeah, it, is something that I don't think people pay lots of attention to it. Yeah. Here you find an entrepreneurial business that is doing extremely well, and you acquire it, and the first thing you start doing is to change the people, change the way they work. In fact, you begin to change the DNA of that company.
0: The reason you
1: want to. Actually, you bought them. And it's usually at the cultural level where uh, people miss uh, yeah. the board. I spend a lot of time with my team, trying to understand what makes this company tick, what, mm. what, what really makes it tick and how can we harness that, nurture it and also learn from it. So it's not a question of we have acquired you yeah. and therefore we own you. Yeah. It's a question of we have come together, there's lots we can learn from you, there's a lot you can learn from us, let's share this knowledge now that it's a bigger pool. I believe in the power of the markets. The markets will determine the share price. So Mm. in the same with knowledge, the more people together you talk and you you do stuff, the more you learn a lot and the more you become better.
0: Mm. But culture is usually the back end because it's after the balance sheet have married that we worry about people.
1: I actually do it the other way around. Yeah. Culture for me should be at the f- uh, front end. Yeah. I think, uh, as they say, culture will eat strategy any time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how good your strategy is. If you've got the wrong culture, culture, you'll be unable to implement yeah. that strategy that you have. So culture for me is right up front. Yes, the numbers have to be right, but culture has to be up front. Because yeah. if you get the cultures wrong the businesses will not work, and then you're going to begin to start to destroy value. Mm. Business is about people. People are at the apex of any organization. Your competitive advantage comes from how you lead your people. Mm. So if you get the culture wrong, how are you going to lead? It becomes a huge problem not for yourself, but also for the acquired business. And in the end, you create discomfort that was not necessary in the Mm. beginning
0: and you destroy value indeed um you are global chair of ARICom. yes you know chairs are experiencing some challenges in this um, corporate governance terrain what wisdom can you share with other chairpersons whether they're aspirant to establish that you've kind of learned in your role that you think is valuable when you're leading a board
1: First of all, as a non-executive director of any company,
0: yeah,
1: uh, the saying goes: uh, uh, stick your nose and keep your little fingers out, because that's very important.
0: Okay, I've yeah. never heard that word before. Okay,
1: <laughs> because sometimes people forget that there's a management team that you've put in place to run the business, mm. and your role as as a board uh, is to provide oversight. Obviously, is to also provide supervisory uh, assistance if it's necessary and also to provide the vision and direction and assist the management to take the business forward. Now, in a chairman's role, the chairman comes with all what the non-executive has to do, but there's something else different that the chair has to do. He sets the tone or she sets the tone. And if you don't set the right tone as the chairman, it affects the board and it can affect the entire organization. It always starts from the top
0: and looking at the corporate scandals that we've been having. You know, how could those chairs have done things differently? So just as an example, we look at Steinhoff. Well, my
1: view of leadership is that for you to be a leader and occupy a position of leadership, uh, if I ignore the rank side of it or the title that you hold, a leader is a person with high character. A leader is a person who makes decisions in the interest of the organization or the community in which they live. They are there to advance humanity, to make the world better. So your decisions deliberately end at, they're there for the organization, not for yourself. If leaders or people occupy leadership positions have that at the back of their mind, mm-hmm. the chances of governance going wrong uh, becomes less because you're not deciding in your self-interest, yeah. you're deciding in the interest of the organization. And I think if you look at Steinhoff, things went off in that direction. What we're reading in the papers now is that you know the people that in a leadership position were now making decisions in their own name. Yeah,
0: and that's the core of what corporate governance is. Isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Um, what tips can you give, uh, especially management that's not at executive level, especially junior to middle management, What tips can you give in terms of having difficult conversations? Because most people don't want to rock the boat because it shortens your career life uh, in a corporate. Um, But in the work that I do in leadership, I find there's a lot of frustration in the junior to middle management level in terms of how they engage with executives. How can you help them? What wisdom can you share there?
1: First of all, it is a difficult conversation to have, uh, especially if you're a junior person talking to your boss uh, or even a colleague or Mm -hmm. somebody that reports to you if you have to give them information that probably they would not like to hear from you. Mm -hmm. But the Norwegians have an expression, I'll spare you the Norwegian, but said in English, you have to put the fish on the table, clean it, and have a good meal. If you keep the fish under the table, it will rot and... don't end in tears nobody will be happy Mm. so just keeping the fish under the table or boiling deep down does not work you have to have those difficult conversations, and there's a starting point for it first you have to create the platform yeah if you're coming in as a leader in an organization what i try and do all the time without fail establish the rules of engagement Mm. establish expectations and how we're going to work together whether it's my boss or is somebody that works for me? Mm. What are my expectations? How are we going to work together? Yeah. Once that has been understood, difficult conversation come about because somebody's deviating from what you had, this, had a conversation. No matter how small, once you see we're moving outside those boundaries, that's when you should raise it. Mm. Now we tend to leave things until there's such a big thing to deal we with. We uncomfortable. But either way, you still have to deal with it. Mm. After all, what really do you have to lose chances are you may lose your job but you haven't lost yourself sometimes it's necessary that you're in a position where you can sacrifice a little bit for yourself Mm. and if you go through that uh in my view it other decisions and conversations becomes easier to have but the bottom line is create the platform for that conversation Mm. And talk. If it's your boss, it always helps to try and get that person in what I call a neutral environment. Mm, mm-hmm. Don't go to your boss's office. I think it's inadvisable. Yeah. And have a difficult conversation when he's sitting in this normal chair in his yeah. position of authority. Power. Yeah, yeah just why, why don't you invite him for a coffee um, cafeteria or outside where you sit with just people and express your feelings. Mm. No judgments. Yes. Express your feelings. This is what I feel when you do X, Y, and Z, mm. and this is bothering me. Am I missing something? And ask questions mm. as opposed to say, you being judgmental, you being this, because that invites the other person to simply move into defensive mode, yes. and I don't think you move forward. And then they close up. Yeah.
0: What's the most courageous you've, decision you've ever taken, um, and what was the outcome of that?
1: When I look back, for some people, it will look like, oh, that was a very simple decision, but for me, it was really courageous. Yeah. I left uh, formal employment in 2000.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: At that point, I was a single dad. My son was four years old. My daughter was about 11. And I resigned a job without another job, without any prospect of doing anything else, other than the fact that I had this belief that it's now my time to do the entrepreneurship. Remember what I said earlier? Not-for-profit, oh, yeah. corporate, mm-hmm. now entrepreneurship, and run a business, and start. And that's exactly what I did. It was my time, it was something I had to do, and I, I left my job. I mean, I recall uh, my colleagues saying, are you crazy? Yeah. You're just about to become this other person. I was already a senior executive in, mm. in, in the organization, mm. but uh, for me it was like, nah, I, I, I gotta do this.
0: I understand those kinds of, but I don't have as many responsibilities as you do. Our country has been going through or should have been going through transformation since 1994. Especially in the corporate arena, we sometimes feel that there's something standing in the way. There are obstacles.
1: Mm.
0: What are the leaders not doing right? Why do you think they're finding it so difficult to really create this new South Africa that we've been wanting?
1: My comments are limited to those areas where I think things have gone wrong because yeah. I do believe there's a lot of people who are doing amazing things to get this country to move forward. Where things have gone wrong, in my view, I, I question the sincerity to transformation. On, on both sides of the aisle, if I may put it that way, whether you're black or white, mm. as long as in leadership sometimes I question the sincerity of whether do these people really want to transform or not? If, if you, you meet leaders that express, in fact, one said something like this to me about four weeks ago, you guys, you're level one and you're doing this, but I'm not seeing the government contracts. That always rings a bell. Where is the sincerity in that leader? Yeah. Are we doing transformation so we can get government contracts? Mm-hmm. Are we doing transformation because we have to do a transformation? This is for us. So I, I question that the, the sincerity, and I think that's where things go wrong. I do believe that if many people are quite sincere about it, uh, they will find a way to make it happen just like you can find a way to make anything happen within business. Why transformation is supposed to be elusive, I don't get it. When I started uh, getting involved in this business, um, after doing some amalgamations and things like that, we were level six. I mean, three years ago, we were level four. We were level one today. It's actually doable. It's not that difficult the way people try and make it to be difficult. We have to remind ourselves that for you and I to sit on this chair and have this conversation, a lot of people took... I mean, they died for us. They sacrificed. They remained. And now for us to sit here and forget that that's where we come from, that we're in this environment today because they did this for us, for me, it's just like uh, being disrespectful to those that took the... You know, that actually took the yeah. ultimate price. Oh. So I... I question the sincerity of yeah. most people.
0: I must say I don't have to look outside because my sister, Mildred, yes. uh, she gave up her life at 21. So every day I wake up, I understand that, hmm. uh, that it was not in vain. So it's not theory for me. I, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, in terms of South African leaders, business leaders, is the one that you admire? And why do you admire that particular person that you're gonna
1: tell I, me about? I generally admire people that despite the odds against them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they have to go through adversity to get to where they are and they kinda of make it. Mm-hmm. Those people I'm attracted to them and trying to understand how did they stay on point? How do they just continue growing despite what they were facing? So you look at um definite for example. I mean, she almost lost a company when people even tried to steal it from her. Now she's a leading uh, woman running a mining group. Uh, you take old man Mapunya, uh, good businessman. Mm. I mean, when, when we did not have BE to help us or the triple PFA to help yeah. us or even access to funding, you know, but somebody developing a business empire to the level where it is what it is today, uh, that I find quite uh, admirable. But uh, despite People necessarily, uh, as in leadership, I, I learn from almost every single person I meet mm-hmm. because I tell myself, uh, I think Bruce Springsteen will say this in his biography, you know, you have always to think that the person next to you is more important than what you think. Yeah, we all And are. vice versa. Yeah. And once you do that you open yourself to learning from other people. Uh, I'm not an engineer myself. I never trained in any technology, but I run a tech business. Yeah. Why? I, 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 I listen to the young engineers or anybody in the company, I speak to them, and these are the people that teach me of what's going on. Yeah. So I learn from almost everybody that I interact with.
0: This is a perfect segue of the thing that I wanted to ask. Um, I believe that the 21st century the two most important currencies are trust and security. You are the CEO of Etion. This is your space in terms of uh, digital technology solution provider. That's Mm -hmm. what you do. Yes. In the context of South Africa, how do you think we view digital trust or are we still stuck in the uh, question of access, just people having access? Because you look at all the um, things that have been happening globally around data, privacy and hacking. In South Africa, we're really not engaged in those conversations.
1: We're a little bit romantic about uh, engaging in the digital space. Hmm. We, we are at, at, the, at the access uh, hmm. level. Yeah. Um, we somehow forget that whereas in the past you could lock your file in an office, lock the office lock the building and go, now all your company documents are in your hands and they are not locks and keys. Uh, and you romanticize that there's no industrial espionage. We romanticize that there's no cyber warfare. We romanticize that uh, people that we give our personal information, uh, when they say they'll keep it private, they actually will. In most cases, they don't. Most of the platforms, social, social media platforms that we use, uh, collect information about us. Every, every, every day we interact with that. We post even things that we should not be posting, information that should be private, because we trust that uh, this platform I'm using, they will be responsible with, our, you know, with the use of that information. History has proved that they're actually not responsible. Uh, you get situations where either they are hacked and all that information is put out or they're actually complicit in collecting your data and then selling it yeah. as the saying goes. Mm. If it's free, you're the product. Mm. So you, you're just giving your information away. It's actually quite dangerous. And I think we need to come up with you know, better policies in how we can protect data. Uh, we need to think very carefully Where we buy some of these technologies, um, it's it's not by coincidence that some countries would say, this company from this other place, we don't want you to do work with us because you think your devices are are spying on us. I mean, we all have mobile phones that are not manufactured here, and they collect information about us all the time. Who's using that data, and to what end are they using that data? To what extent do we check all the technologies that we buy, whether they are consistent with what we're trying to do uh, as a country and how we can protect ourselves? That is why part of what we do in our company is cybersecurity. security. Yeah. We actually go out of a way to create trust in transaction by using uh, cryptography mm. to protect uh, people's identities, to protect people's information, so that it cannot be used for nefarious uh, reasons.
0: Yeah. In South Africa, I'm not quite sure that we have really taken the fourth industrial revolution seriously. A lot of us are still studying humanities, social sciences. In terms of STEM careers, we not, it's not like our mantra.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which worries? I worry in terms of our competitive edge.
1: Yes. I'm not concerned about studying humanities. I think if we're going to produce people that only study science, and science only, and we ignore the humanities, we may end up producing robots of people. Shouldn't we right? integrate that? But what, but, but what I'm concerned about is the overemphasis That's it. on humanities at the expense of STEM uh, skills that yes. we need to do. So,
0: How can we change that?
1: Well, it's, it's the usual thing, it starts changing the curriculum at school. I'm glad now to hear that they're introducing coding at at, at the primary school level. Yeah,
0: that's great.
1: Uh, We have no choice but to do so, Mm. and you're quite correct to say that when it comes to Industry version 4, we haven't really thought of it very broadly as a country. Some countries have put up these industry version four cancels at government level to try and deal with these Mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, look at us what we're trying to do. We get excited that uh, we're going to have another investment for manufacturing or extension of a combustion engine uh, motor vehicle. Reality is that most of these investments are coming from countries that they are saying themselves, by 2030, no combustion engines. Yeah. So we're getting old technology as opposed for us to leapfrog Lipfrog, uh, beyond that.
0: Which is an opportunity. And, and it's,
1: it's an issue. It's an issue for us. We, we can leapfrog. Uh, we have proved uh, that we are very good as a country on electronics in South Africa, extremely good at it. Uh, our, our engineers, our s- solutions are sold worldwide. The problem is we're not getting the level of support that we need to get locally. It's almost like you have to make it outside for you to make it internally. Our cybersecurity business, just as an example, 95% of our income is from uh, international, not locally, Um, because uh, maybe it's Afrophobia, some people say. Mm But there's a lot that we can do and I'm sure that if if we change the curriculum and we put more fo- focus on STEM skills, Of course, course, combined with the humanities, I would like to see any engineering degree to have a course or two in humanities Yeah, and vice versa, I would like to see all this. We have to combine these things because as a person living in the world, you live with all these kind of things that you have to engage with. You need that uh, to move forward.
0: You need integrated. We have to
1: do that. I don't think we have a choice as a country. Uh,
0: Just talking about local industries and local companies, uh, in South Africa, it's been muted for a while that uh, companies are sitting on cash. I don't know if you buy into that perception. If that's the case, how do you think President Ramaphosa is going to be able to convince foreign direct investment to come into the country if local companies are not seeing value in investing? here?
1: Yeah. There's debates either way whether they are doing it or not doing yeah. it. But I don't think it matters. Let's work on the assumption that there is lots of cash that is sitting you know, with reserves and, and, and companies are not investing. There's, the reason why you would not invest is because you have no confidence that if you make an investment into this area, you're going to have your return. Yeah. So the starting point is to create that confidence. Uh, we, The past eight years or so, ten, we have come up with policies that has not been investor-friendly. Um, there's this big gap that we have created between uh, business and government, uh, both sides, I mean, played oh, it negatively. Instead of coming closer. Indeed, indeed. There's, you cannot have business without government. Mm-hmm. Any lawless state, you cannot have business that work, and you cannot government without business because you have to tax. Governments yeah. don't necessarily create jobs. They create an enabling environment for yeah. jobs. So we need each other, and we also need civil society. So before we can even look out wide to get investment, the starting point, how investor friendly, I'm talking about domestic investment, yes. how investor friendly have we made uh, our country? And in my view, there's a lot that we need to do to try and bring about confidence in the environment. Yeah. This uh, takes spectrum. I mean, for the past 10 years, we've been talking about releasing new spectrum. We haven't done it. Uh, how do people then invest in that environment? Had we released more spectrum, as you saw in, in the media reports, now we could easily halve the cost of uh, of, of data, yeah. but we haven't done that. The question is why? It's such a simple thing.
0: And it's more expensive in South Africa, even as compared to other African countries. Well,
1: almost in the world, we, we run most with one of the most expensive data costs uh, in 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 the world. Yeah. Simply because of policy. If we change our policies, then we can do that. So whether they are holding cash or not, the question is.
0: Why, is the is
1: the environment that investor friendly?
0: Yeah.
1: I don't think people want to hold on to cash. You don't get a good return on either. cash. If you invest it, uh, you and, and you know that you're going to have a reasonable return. That's fine. This this um, thing that is developed in a couple of years, where uh, business is seen as bad in its totality. I think we need to rethink as, uh, as a country. We all need each other. We need business. We need government. We need civil society. Yeah. It's not an either or, uh, it's, it's what we need as a country together.
0: I know you mentioned the four things that you're working towards now being um, doing a PhD and then being a, an academic, you're going to be my professor, I suppose, in the future. <laughs> um, but what else is on your bucket list that you still need to achieve?
1: I've always wanted to do nothing.
0: <laughs> 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 okay, I didn't see that on coming. <laughs> yeah, you know, you Just you do nothing.
1: It, it's not a bad thing. Mm. Uh, I'm not the kind of person who would uh, make a lot of money. You know, buy a big boat yet, yeah, and you know, travel around the world with a glass with umbrellas on it. Not the kind of person. But I, I also would like to see myself do what I call nothing, and nothing yeah. simply means spend more time on the uh, social side of life, spend more time in seeing how I can assist people differently than what I've done so far. I, I think I miss my not-for-profit days, yeah. so even if I'm going to transition myself more into academic-type work, yeah. but I think I'll be doing more philanthropy than what I've done. Okay. There's more to do on the philanthropic side. I
0: like that. Any other wisdom you want to share as we close our conversation?
1: There's a lot I'd like to share, but the most important thing for me is uh, we are our people, and every, per- every person, every single person deserves the joy of life. Mm. I shouldn't be the person to uh, make it difficult for you to enjoy the joy of life. I should be the person who helps you enjoy that joy of life that you deserve. That's why I said earlier on, in all my interactions with people, I always hope on a net basis it's been positive and you enjoy the joy of life as well.
0: I mean, really, people, you, you know why I'm speaking to him. This has been our Conversations with Dudem Somi and I've just had a conversation with Teddy Dagger. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. Please also like, follow, and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.